probably about six, seven years ago, uh, my friend introduced me to this podcast called Radio Lab. Um, and I knew about the lady that I'm just about to introduce you all to, but that podcast was um, was a really interesting podcast to listen to. And ever since then, I've uh, looked up everything about you and have become a mad fan. And anyway, for the audience out there, I would love to introduce Julie Moss. Thank you, Steph. It's, <laughs> it's wonderful to be here. Thanks. That's a nice introduction. <laughs> NPR Radio would be happy to know that um, they had such a profound influence on you. Yeah, absolutely. The way that they did their podcast was just phenomenal. And I mean, the, the subject, i.e. you, it's pretty phenomenal. Well, and think about it. Here you are doing a podcast with me now. I mean, technology, what it is, you know, back six years ago. But here you are having that influence of that Radio Lab um, experience, and now we're getting our own. I think that's kind of a nice circle. It is, and I'm grinning from ear to ear because, I mean, you're very approachable, very easy to talk to. Um, it's like I've known you for ages mm. already, and I've only actually really met you face to face a few times. But still, every now and then, I think in the back of my head. This is Julie Moss. Like, I've watched you on YouTube and you've changed triathlon and... Oh, well, thank you. And I, I have to tell you, I've, I've always been a little intimidated by you. What? Because you know your shit. You know? <laughs> you do. You know the sport and you have been growing um, with the sport and you you really know your stuff. And I, I step away from the sport and I just, you, I couldn't tell you what what was going on. Yeah. And then I, I reemerge and I have to kind of learn everything over again. So I, I appreciate your professional and your fun. You know, that's a good combination. What? Wow. You've made my year. Like that's, wow. Thank you so much. Oh, I'm a little bit speechless right now. That's... Well, that that's a first here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, it's a first. <laughs> you heard it or not. You didn't quite hear it here first. Anyway, um, we were just having a quick chat before we hit record uh, earlier about that actual uh, podcast that we were talking, uh, that I was talking about earlier. Right. Fill me in about how all that happened, because I believe there might be a little bit of an interesting story. Right. Well, uh, because of my uh, my place in history in the sport, I get contacted every so often, as sometimes completely out of the blue. And I had this email come through about this woman who's um, trying to set up an interview for um, Radio Lab. Well. I was not familiar with NPR. I didn't know how far it, far reaching it was in the U.S. and obviously internationally. But I wasn't in a very good place in my life. And I thought, oh, they just want to talk about 1982 and me crawling across the finish line. And I wasn't in a very good mood. And I just sort of said, I'll, I'll get back to her. Um, or maybe I, I said, um, uh, maybe, I don't know if I even responded. I was not in a good spot. And I was had a trip coming up to go visit Wendy Ingram, um, former professional athlete, wingnut. <laughs> and she'd relocated to Colorado and I was going to go visit her. And she picks me up from Denver airport and we're driving. And she said, Hey, Julie, we just, we just may, need to make a quick stop. I've got to do this, this, um, radio interview for, for NPR. And it was like, ding, 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 ding. I went, Oh my God, Wendy, is it, is it for Radio Lab? And she said, yeah. And I said, I think I was meant to do that. And I blew the woman off. I mean, I blew her off. Wow. And so I said, do you mind like just phoning her and telling her I'm in the car if that's like, if it helps? <laughs> and it's like, so she did and they were so gracious. I mean, how rude was I? To, obnoxious. To, obnoxious. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine some trying to set up an interview with somebody and they don't get back to you? It's annoying. You know, it's just, it's terrible. And so 
and the irony is this has become a really a, just a, a staple interview that people kind of keep touching base with and it's a touchstone interview yeah and here I almost blew it off so I said Wendy I'm so embarrassed but could you let her know I'm in the car and if, if they still want me to be a part of it and if they were again so gracious they yeah come on in and so then it became this Wendy Ingram and I both kind of going back and forth with our experiences of crawling through the finish line. Uh, Wendy in 1997 um, and Sean Welsh were in the pro race. Um, yeah. I think they were in third and fourth position and they started crawling to the line. The two of them were falling down and crawling. And yeah. um, so that's the other crawl. I, you yeah, know, the I, other one. <laughs> I, the other one, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that interview um, through NPR uh, hit a fan base that I never knew existed. These are regular people who listen to NPR every day on their way to work. Yeah. And it, I was amazed at how many people reached out to me saying, I heard this interview. Yeah. And outside of the triathlon world, obviously, Oh, as well. completely yeah, outside. Yeah. I mean, I know I can be a big fish in a, in a tiny pond. Yeah. But NPR is, is the ocean. Yeah. And, you know, when you're a drop in that ocean, it, it reverberates and it was really cool. So, wow. yeah. So, I'm, and they keep re, replaying it, you know? Um, so it's, it's then I'll get a whole nother group of people saying, heard your interview. Oh yeah. Yeah. Nice. Cool. Wow. All right. Do you, um, and I'll just do a, a, a most people should know you who are listening to this podcast, mm -hmm. I imagine, but just quickly, um, and we'll move past this quickly because I don't want it all to be about 1982, but 1982 at the Ironman World Championships in Kona um, was the famous crawl from you to get to the finishing line um, and you pretty much helped put Ironman and the sport of triathlon on the map. Um, is, it, is it a constant topic of conversation when anyone talks to you or do you find that things are moving in a different direction. We we're having a bit of a chat about this uh, a couple of days ago about how, you know, you're more than just that moment. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, for some reason, this analogy is coming to my mind when um, Leonardo DiCaprio, how can you not think Titanic, you know? Yeah, true. So, I mean, I think there's just, I was um, uh, the face of what of what Iron Man, the spirit of Iron Man. And mm -hmm. I think it took me a long time to understand that just getting a little older and more mature, but I think you can't have a conversation with me about, uh, without mentioning it, you yeah. know, especially if you're just meeting me yeah. and they find out, oh, you're the young woman who was leading the race in 1982 and you collapsed and then you, you got up and you fell and you got up and you fell and then you ended up crawling. Um, two things that made that, um, made me that center stage. One, I was leading the race. Yeah. Had that been happening in the back of the pack back then, ABC Sports only covered the front of the yep. race and you wouldn't they barely covered the women at that we'll get onto that as well yeah so <laughs> the fact that I was leading the race um and coming into the finish uh it was it was a departure for ABC Sports one to really take that moment and show it in its entirety because what you see on YouTube now is about two minutes yeah the original version was my entire finish because was it live it was not live. It was but, edited um, 
it was they, they replayed they showed it pretty quickly when yeah. they saw the footage they went we're getting this thing out quick yeah. so they did like a two-week turnaround yeah okay and but they showed my entire from the minute like a quarter of a mile out falling getting up falling getting up i mean the abc camera check just was on me and that's what they showed yeah um, they cut a little bit to kathleen uh, mccartney the woman who passed me yeah. right at the end for the for the win but that was really the one time they showed her other than one over you know one shot out in the lava fields yeah um, right in fact, Kathleen and I have gone on to speak about this race together, and Kathleen will say, I knew I was getting closer to Julie when I got my own helicopter over me. Yeah, right. Yeah, the, the men's race had finished. Yeah. Oh, we got an extra helicopter. Oh, we'll go maybe send one back out for the second place woman. And so, um, yeah, I own it. You know, that yeah. that finish um, was important because it showed a woman, um, a woman's race. Yep. And, and, and just really thoroughly, at least mine, I made it really thorough when I spent a lot of time on the ground, <laughs> but it was, um, it was the struggle too yeah. that captured people's imaginations. And it really allowed people to see, to see what is capable, what you're capable of. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, um, I don't mind having that conversation. It's not like it's burdensome or, Oh, yeah. we're bringing it up again. It's, after 35, 36 years, it's like, oh, thank you. First, my first reaction is always thanks. Thanks for yeah. thanks for sharing your thoughts and how that made it, you know, you felt about that. And that's really nice to hear. Yeah. And um, now tell me about what you're doing, you know. Tell me about what you're excited about. Yeah, I do about, notice you do always turn it around. Not not too quickly because you, you take it all in, but then you are very quickly to ask whoever it is, how you interacted with me, what was happening with me, what I was up to as well. So I, I did notice that about oh. you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, that story and that piece of my life, I'm very familiar with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't need to, to, to go over and over it. But I really yeah. am interested in what gets people excited about this sport. Yeah. I mean, what, what is it that's driving you? I know what drives me. Yeah. So I want to hear what's driving you. Well, speaking of what drives you, I want to go back to pre-Kona 1982. What actually drove you to get to that start line? And I know it was part of your study. Yeah, I was a, I was a senior in college and I'm at a school, Cal Poly, uh, San Luis Obispo, beautiful central California coastal town. And we had to do a, a, a cumulative project before we can graduate. In fact, a lot of Cal Poly students don't actually graduate because they can't get their senior project done for some reason. So yeah. I picked something that would be fun. Um, it was Hawaii. Yeah. Uh, I watched the Iron Man in 1981 and went, wow, that's gorgeous in Hawaii. Yeah. Those men in Speedos on the beach are <laughs> equally gorgeous. Um, and it's in Hawaii and I could probably get, you know, maybe I could get some surfing in. And yeah. that was the sport that I did back then. And All right. Surfing. Yeah. Cool. Surfing. And my mom, I knew she'd pay for it because, you know, this is a school project, mom. Come on. You got to pay for this. Totally. Yeah. And so I, I signed up for the race and I treated it like I did every other school project. I put it on the back burner and figured when I it got close, <laughs> I'd start cramming. cramming yes. Well, that's what I had to do for Kona. Um, wow. I, I did not come from a swim, bike or run background. Yeah. Um, I pretty much had to learn how to swim laps in a pool at Cal Poly when yeah. I signed up for this race. Uh, my high school didn't even have a pool, but I surfed. Yeah. So I had some of the muscle development and I had a certain ease and comfort mm -hmm. in big water. So that those that combination of being comfortable in open water and then just having to learn how to swim back and forth in a pool yeah. made that 
pretty easy. Um, yes. It's always, it can be difficult for people if they're not a swimmer, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Sorry, how far out from race day did you sign up? Oh, I signed up, I believe, in 1982. The race was that winter, or 1981, winter of 81. So um, probably spring of 81. So I had a good, you know, six, seven months to get ready. Yeah, because it was it. it was February of eighty two. Yeah. So I watched it, and you know, I had less than a year. Yeah, and then I kind of started getting, start trying to do some training, with six months before the race. Yeah, and fits and starts. Yeah, but with about three months to go, the panic button hit. Jeez. Yeah. So um, I. I finished all my classes at Cal Poly and relocated back down to San Diego to my home yeah. and thought, oh man, I, I better get my act together. Um, so I did a marathon in November. So before I left Cal Poly, I did a marathon in Oakland. Yeah. And I just thought, for some reason, I thought, I'm going to run 3.30. That's a nice round number. At the marathon or yeah. at Kona? At the at marathon. The yeah. Yeah. So I think I ran 3.30. 30 up until, you know, I couldn't. And then I walked in and, but it was like a 339. So first marathon hadn't run over eight miles. And then I thought that was so horrible. I better do another one really quick and erase that memory. So now I'm back in San Diego and it's January. And I thought I'm jumping into another marathon because I've got to have a positive feeling. Again, ran 332 and only blew up about mile 23 and struggled for the last three miles. And and within within a few days, I'm on the plane to Kona. So, uh, you know, a mar- <laughs> three marathons within, you know, six weeks is not ideal. Imagine if an athlete said that to you today. This is my training program leading into the World Champs. I'd say, well, I have one example where that might have worked. And yeah. uh, other than that, <laughs> your odds are not good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, wow. so I, um, I showed up in Kona having not done the swim distance yet having not done the bike distance yet by a long shot. I mean, I think I'd only gone 80 miles before I got to Kona. But I had three weeks in Kona. So this is – my time in Kona was really fun. I'm, yeah. I was on a budget. I mean, I didn't have a rental car. I had family friends who were going to let me stay with them on the other side of the island, um, yeah. towards the hubby's side of the island. Yeah. Um, so I would get a ride, um, our family friends um, – Frank would drop me in his uh, at his work at Parker Ranch, which sits up above um, probably about picture the twenty five mile mark on the okay. race course, yep. Waikoloa area. Yeah, yeah. Well, up the hill towards the mountains yep. is uh, Parker Ranch. Oh, okay. And he worked there, big cattle ranch. So he dropped me there. I'd ride down the hill about three or four miles, hit the pavement, and ride in the Queen K into town. So about 30, 35 miles of riding to get to town. Yeah. And then I'd do a little. I'd do the swim, and I'd swim the course with all these folks are still hanging around and and maybe do a little bit of running but I just run a second marathon so I was kind of tired from running and then I'd ride back so I'm doing this like every day like 70 miles a day commuting uh for the during the week um two weeks out um from the race they had a time trial of the course and they were going to provide sag wagons and food and I thought great I'll do the time trial get my 112 in Except I had to ride the 30, 35 miles into oh town God. to start it. So I'm right. I rode 150 that day and I did all right. I think I was like the third or fourth woman on yeah. the bike. And then that, then the rumor started, this girl's somebody to to watch. Oh. And then we had two weeks to go before the race and, and things started to kind of shut down after that. But yeah. um, I did a lot of training in Kona in those three <laughs> weeks 
Yeah, exactly wow. the opposite of what you should do, right? It, absolutely. So right. I look back on that and I think, one, I had a fantastic attitude. It wasn't training. It was playing. I'm in Hawaii. Yeah. And I don't have a car, so I'm commuting. I'm not training. I'm commuting into town to go meet some of these cool people. I haven't seen another triathlete. Um, yeah. They didn't exist until we found our tribe in Kona from all over the country. This small group of people, some 300 of us or were there and that's that's who those were all the triathletes in the world pretty yeah. much um who were serious enough to to do yeah. an Ironman but we were such a small group we I mean the, this is wild the name was invented for the sport it wasn't like oh you say triathlon and people know it well they had to come up with a name yeah, yeah. to name this sport just within a few years after I did my first one so it's to be a pioneer yeah. in a sport like this was lost on me at the time. It lost on Absolutely. me at the time, but it really was a pioneer in the sport. So yeah. that first, just to wrap back up, because I'm, I'm rambling, but I apologize. Um, but I yeah, don't think anyone minds. <laughs> that first Ironman was about figuring things out. Yeah. As an individual, somebody who doesn't pre-plan or didn't, wasn't that kind of focused student, and so I didn't apply that kind of focus to training. I just just played it by ear. I had a good time. I had a great attitude and I had some natural endurance that was hiding in there. Yeah. And so it was an interesting combination of how you can come at something from, uh, from that particular, um, that point of view or that approach because the woman who won the race in 1982, Kathleen McCartney, she was completely different. She's more of the modern professional triathlete. Yeah. So we were completely opposite, and we came within 29 seconds of each other at the finish line. Wow. So in the so you you've just told me that you were the kind of student who uh, crammed. I was exactly the same kind of student. And then you've had this amazing experience, which has blown up. Like you, I, I can imagine you had never thought that yeah. any of this would have happened. But weeks following this race, what do you feel like you learnt about yourself, Julie Moss, as a person, not necessarily an athlete, but what did you take from that, which possibly changed the way that you approached other things in your life? Well, and I'm, I'm pretty easygoing and pretty lighthearted, but there was a very, very profound, serious moment in that race. Yeah. And it happened on the ground. I'm on the pavement, and I've got to figure out a way to get up. And something just clicked. And I, and I, and I actually remember the exact moment. Yeah. I had... You know, I had crapped my pants when I fell the first time. Yeah. Um, and the camera was on me. And the, all I could think about was that. Yeah. And there was a moment where I laid back on the pavement. Because I tried to get up and my legs aren't working. They're yeah. just, they, they just weren't functioning. The, the signals from my brain weren't getting to them. Yeah. And I'm sitting there. I'm a mess. And I just lay back on the pavement. And I just sort of want to just sink down into the pavement and disappear. And there's this voice that just came, it's like this rumbling energy voice comes up and just said, get up. And I thought, all right, I'll listen. I'm going to get up. And that just that intuitive, oh, that, that part of yourself that will come out when you probably least expect it and you need it most came out in me and just said, get up and fight. And 
I knew it was the, the 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 slacker girl who did the minimum to get by, who coasted, who crammed at the last minute, was now cast aside. Now it was time to be a warrior. And it was like, get up and fight. You have been leading this race for hours. You never thought of yourself as a professional not a professional athlete, but even very good at anything. Well, now you've proved that you you deserve to be here. Now fight for it. And it was just this interesting moment of finding this part of myself I never knew existed. Yeah. And it was my self-worth. And I had never had to really rely on it or never had to count on it. I just accepted I was who I was. And then I realized in that moment... I'm worth more. And that whole idea of your self-worth is worth fighting for. And I got that piece and I kept going. And that was that was so clear. My my legs weren't working, but my mind was working. And that moment was like, wow, you have no idea what you're capable of, but you gotta fight for it. You are worth more. And it was like, that was it. So yeah, I've kind of hit like this amazing moment for a 23-year-old girl to get that little piece. And that piece was scary. You know, that was that was atomic to know that I had that within me, but I hadn't lived my life like that. And am I going to have to go out and live every moment like this again? It was like, well, I don't have to think about that now. But I've got this little piece right here, right now, and it's going to get me to the finish line. Wow. Cool. It's very cool. Cool, yeah. And I, I remember that like it was like it was yesterday. Yeah. And that just that get up and fight for your worth. Yeah. Very cool. And I think it had to come to me in the way of Iron Man because it just kept stripping my layers off. Yeah. And I was going to, my ego was going to get in the way. My California casual girl persona was going to get in the way. But when... You are stripped down. I mean, you lose control of all your your body in front of a in front of a camera. Where else can you go? I couldn't hide anymore. I had to be completely vulnerable and raw. And in that raw, stripped down place, I probably found that kernel of my potential and my best self. Wow. So that's why I tell people when you do an Ironman, it will strip you down to all you have left is the very best of yourself. Yeah. Yeah, in the worst of conditions. Yeah. Far out. Yeah. Well, now we'll go back to fun stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I, so that warrior that you found that you didn't know existed, um, and I said to you beforehand, I don't want this podcast to be always about triathlon, but obviously it plays a big role in your life. When has that warrior appeared in times outside of triathlon? Like when have you really embraced that warrior to help you with a big decision to make or, you know? Well, it's interesting because knowing it's there, I mean, knowing you've got this potential, but yet you have to be so, you have to go so deep within yourself to get it. It's it can, it can be scary and it can be yeah. this, this, it's elusive. And it's like, do I really want to have to push myself that hard to get that little piece? And there's been points in my life where I've actually gone the opposite direction. Like I have just not wanted to embrace that inner warrior and I've gotten kind of paralyzed. Um, some depression um, has oh, been really? in my life um, because I couldn't go that far. I wasn't willing to push myself that far, but yet knowing I could, it was this interesting, and it paralyzed me. And um, wow. it didn't it didn't last usually for 
too long, but there's been points in my life where fear of not being successful mm-hmm. has stopped me from trying to be successful. Whereas that initial Kona race, I wasn't trying to be anything. I was yeah. trying to get to the finish line to be to graduate from college and move on to a new direction in my life. And it was going to be a one and done. And what I found was this, there was this inner fire, inner just... I guess I keep coming back to the word of potential because we all have this amazing potential with within us, and sometimes it's really scary to live up to that. Yeah. And I and I and it played out on national television, and people saw that, and they were motivated because they saw me doing whatever it took to live up to my potential. Yeah. And they it it triggered something in them to know what what would it be like for me to live up to my potential or to put myself in a position where I really have to go there. So living it, that time, uh, that initial time, I took it for granted. And then to know what it might take to go there again, it sometimes had the opposite Interesting. So I had some of those moments, but every time I'd get in this paralyzed place in my life, the one thing that would be the breaker would be coming back to Iron Man. It was became my touchstone. So wow. I've come back to Ironman at different points in my life. I had a 10-year professional career. Then I had the post-baby Ironman because we can do it all, right, Steph? <laughs> we can do it all. <laughs> um, I had a post-divorce um, Ironman. That yep. was, uh, again, that paralyzed place was starting to happen a little bit. Who am I if I'm not... You know, part of the triathlon power couple, having been married to Mark Allen, six-time winner of the Ironman. Um, and now we have a son, and we have this beautiful little family, and, and now we're we're splitting up. Who who am I in the sport? And then there was um, the, oh, there was the, oh, the, the really nice one was the, the, the post-divorce Ironman was in 2003. And um, my mom had passed away also. So it was divorce, mom passing oh, away. Wow. Rough year. Yeah, And I had, uh, I think it was either the 20th anniversary of, of this race, Ironman New Zealand, or 25th, I'm not quite sure, probably the 20th. Um, it was 15 years ago. Yes, so, the 20th. 20th. Yeah. So they invited me to come to Taupo and uh, to do the race. And everything going on in my life, I just, the, the training wasn't really happening. And I came here and it was so healing. You know, I came wow. here and I, I think I had about two and a half weeks um, stayed with Dave and Red, um, and they put me up, and I did the cross Taupo swim um, the the Saturday before the race. And I remember coming down the finish line without two k to go, and just being overcome with emotion, and kind of crying, and and thinking, get it together, girl. You got two more k, but the emotion of everything I'd been through in the past year, year and a half, just kind of hit me, and it was just this release and. Um, came across the line and went, okay, let's go back to Kona. You know, um, here's March. We're finished this one. And my whole year then was about going back to Kona and just sort of, just sort of regaining my sense of self. So yeah. coming back here 15 years later really reminds me of the healing power of Ironmans and the community and to kind of go down, go out on a race course and get yourself stripped down really bare and find that core of yourself again and then, then springboard. And um, I would say Ironman helps prepare you for all 
phases of your life, you know. Um, mm. But do how do I take that specific mindset of being a warrior? I think it's um, it's when you allow yourself to be really vulnerable. Yeah. You know, to just just be your most authentic self in just about every aspect of your life. Yeah. You know, just be just be yourself and just let people see the real you. And so Iron Man does that for you. It strips you down, and that's why you get that emotion at the finish line. Mm. When people come across the line, they are radiant because that's their authenticity coming through. Mm. And whatever I was battling 15 years ago when I was at this race, other people have battled things with their health, with their families, with their relationships. Um, you can get very guarded and protected and fearful. And Iron Man, over the, the miles of the day, the hours, it strips you off and you're ready to start over again. Ah! <laughs> you weren't expecting this, were you, Steph? It's so true, though. It's, it is. Um, I, like, while you were talking, I was going back in my mind about, because I've done six iron distances and how I felt at the finishing line and how I felt at the start line and dur- during and... Um, yeah, I mean, we all race for different reasons, but you're right. It does, iron distance racing makes you very vulnerable. It doesn't matter if you're at the top of your game or a 17 hour hitter, it, it really can do that. And I think, um, you mentioned depression, which I'd like to talk a little bit more about. And I think that this people in this sport can be prone to big highs and big lows, myself included. And the more I talk about it, the more I hear other people's stories. Um, but I think just embracing that vulnerability in training and racing can help with that kind of thing. But you need to, I sound like a shrink, but you need to embrace that vulnerability otherwise if you keep fighting it is when I feel like yeah. you can get yourself into trouble and I'm, I'm sensing that from your story oh yeah yeah absolutely and I wouldn't have guessed that I would I didn't see myself as the kind of person that could be depressed Same, I was yeah. too busy yeah <laughs> you know I was too busy to be depressed yeah but where it was manifesting was in going out and getting a job, thinking about how to recreate my life in my 40s, uh, divorce, um, you know, having my son half the time. And do I do I be a full-time mom half the time or do I be a career woman half the time? How do I balance? And I, I got pretty stuck. Yeah. And I, I think it was, I didn't have triathlon as sort of my go-to then I was sort of had stepped away from the sport so I didn't have the camaraderie I didn't have the community I didn't have the routine and that sort of body discipline I think that takes that that um it's an energy thing with depression right either you don't have energy and and training on a consistent basis whatever it is you choose to do really sort of it's like it stabilizes your your blood sugar needs to be stabilized in your body but in your mind you need to have the stability too Mm. and the training without that I just in fact I said who am I if I'm not if I'm not a triathlete I'm a depressed woman is who I am and I'm you know, I, I put on 15, 20 pounds because I wasn't training. I was probably having, you know, that extra glass of wine at night, uh, self-medicating. Yeah, I was a bit of a mess for a while. Yeah. And I had, I knew I was, I could be, I knew the extremes of being where I was in that moment and where I had been. And having, 
the warrior came out when, you know, instead of saying get up, it was like, shut up, <laughs> shut up and just start. For me, yeah. it was yoga. That's how I started out of my kind of that cycle of inactivity and depression. It was yoga. And it was, I love yoga because they'll say it's a practice, not a perfection. I wasn't, no one was Ooh. asking me to be perfect. I like that. Yeah. I like that too, because a lot of times we, we want ourselves to be perfect, Yeah, but that was sort of the daily thing that I did. And I started going to yoga, and then, of course, I take the I find the Ironman version of yoga, this Bikram yoga in a hundred degree room <laughs> for an hour and a half, and and then I took the thirty day challenge, and then I took the sixty day challenge, and yeah. but I could tell I was kind of getting back into that idea of pushing and pushing and seeing, you know, ticking the boxes every day physically, emotionally, yeah. I started to follow along, and but again with yoga, you're in a community. You're getting this positive, you know, affirmations the minute you walk in the door. So I took myself and put myself in a positive environment that allowed me to be completely vulnerable on my mat and and be lousy at yoga when I started Mm -hmm. and slowly get better and better. And I was never going to be a yogi. You know, that was, I'm just doing this to to feel better. I didn't have the pressure to be good at it. Yeah. And I got okay, but I mean, I'm never going to be a great at yogi, but um, great at yoga. But it was, it was what it did to my mind. That was so great. And then it did lay some nice groundwork. So then in 2012, when Kathleen McCartney, my nemesis from way back when, (laughs) contacted me to see if we could train together. I'd relocated back to San Diego. She had come through a horrible divorce we instantly bonded on a woman to woman. Like, yeah, we are no longer rivals. We're no longer, you know, the, the, you're the girl who stole my Ironman trophy, whatever that was out there. There was, and the media did pit us together to, to sort of have that, that persona, which is, I don't always think it's a bad thing. I think it's a good, we need to have a bit more of that rivalry. We do. We do need rivalries. Yeah. So yeah. And I did my best to maintain that rivalry for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Every chance I could get. But when she reached out to me on a human level, we connected and we started training in 2012. Um, and she took me about, about five months for her to talk me into going back to Kona with her for our 35th anniversary of the 1982 crawl. Yeah. So that was, it was amazing how easily the training came. This was nine years I hadn't done triathlon and how easily the training started to come back because I'd been doing something else, you know, with my body yoga for those six, seven years. So it was, um, again, but coming back to Ironman, you know, it's just like, it's this touchstone. I come back to it and I thought, where's my life going to go by doing this, this 2012 Ironman? Well, here I am, you know, 2018, and I just haven't stopped. It's like it's like triathlon, uh, the community, different projects that I'm interested in. It I can't. I, why do I want to get away from triathlon? It's fabulous. It's like <laughs> I love it. Saying that as well, though, I think because um, th- triathlon can be very all-encompassing and all-consuming and. I said I was one of those people a few years ago, which I dug myself into a bit of a hole because I was trying to do everything and thought I was Wonder Woman. And um, I've I now look at triathlon in a very different light. I still I love it. Obviously, I wouldn't be doing what I do if I didn't. Um, but I think it's important to you don't always have to step away for nine years or no, anything. Yeah. But don't it doesn't always have to be the center of people's universe. And I I feel like a lot of triathletes get stuck in that 
place where it's everything and you're like, just relax. I know. And I, and I, it's hard for me to sort of, I mean, I have perspective because I've been doing it for so long. Yeah. And honestly, I've had, I've had success along the way. And it seems now as I come back as an age grouper, I still get those nice hits of success. Some people don't have those. And yeah. so I, there's something that longing of, of that recognition of that podium finish of that mm. Kona qualifying spot. And I, I can empathize with that mm-hmm. and understand that the obsessiveness to get that. Um, I'm fortunate that I have I don't live by those that kind of obsession um, yeah. because it is that would be tough to yeah. kind of feel like it it wasn't coming together the way you wanted it to. Um, I I feel like I'm very relaxed about triathlon. I think yeah. it's it's something that I love to do and I love to get to a point where my training is clicking along and I think it's that old girl who never did enough who always you know coasted when I get in those training blocks where it feels really good I love it but then I can completely let go of it too I mean it's like all right this is yeah this is this is a part of my life it's not my whole life and but if you're in it and you're feeling like you're you're having good relationships here's here's the checklist there should be a checklist yeah if if you're not having uh, you know if your personal life is suffering and you know there should be a checklist check these boxes yeah and then you maybe need to to, to reset yeah, yeah. <laughs> reset but yeah triathlon is it's the people that I meet, especially when they're first getting into it, oh yeah, they're so they're so on fire. They're so excited. Um, in fact, I went to the roll down ceremony. Here. Oh, it's the best. It the energy of the roll down ceremony is one of the best. Yeah. right? Oh, I so, agree. Yeah, because these people are earning their Kona slots, and some and they they maybe didn't think they had a chance in hell, and somehow it's rolled down to the eighth spot, and there they are, and they're yeah. going to Kona, and their dreams. You know, it's like. Disneyland fireworks are going off in that room. So, um, yeah, I get it. It's, it, it, for me, it's not, the, it's, it seems like it's the center of my world, but I, I've been able to create good balance. Yeah, absolutely. So good for me. I don't know yeah. if it'd be good for somebody else, but balance is good for me. And it's usually a cold IPA in a frosted <sighs> glass at the end of the day. Sorry, woman, oh, no alcohol for beer. you. I miss beer. I know. <laughs> It'll taste just as good. Well, Down it'll the taste road. better, I better. imagine. Better, better. Yeah. So yeah. I'm looking forward to. I actually said to Brett, the day we go to the hospital, you better make sure that you're bringing in a bottle of champagne and some beer because yeah. that's getting cracked open. Okay, well, this isn't going to air for a little while because, you know, this would be considered outside aid on the course. But these guys, <laughs> I had to run past them three times. And the first time, they're, they're, I don't know if they're playing um, some kind of game, but they were they were so loud. They were down at the far end of the course in this little park. Yes. yes. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and I don't know if they were playing cornhole or what they were doing, but they had beers and they, they were getting louder and louder. And I ran past them on the second loop and I said, you better have an ice cold beer with my name on it when I come back a third time. And they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and so we came back on, and I could bear, it was a steep downhill yeah. on a footpath to get to them. And I had to kind of barely, barely run down it, keep the quads intact. And I got there and I said, okay, where's that cold beer? And they went, here it is. And they pulled one out of the ice and had a couple of good slugs on it. And they went, ah, oh, we got to put your name up on our Hall of Fame or our Wall of Fame. So anyone who actually took a beer, they wrote their name down. That's really so cool. Good. And I thought, you know, at this point, I don't think it could hurt. Yeah. I, yeah. I think my quads are going to go, ah, oh, why wait till after? Yeah, why carbs, don't... baby. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's a first. Yeah. That was a first. Nice, like, nice taste of cold beer there with about, oh, I don't know, five miles to run. Yeah, I think it was about six or seven K yeah. to go from there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, oh, that's cool. Yeah, but I guess that is outside aid. You know, we need to get them as an official aid station. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll just beep that entire part of the yeah. podcast yep. so you don't get in trouble. Yep. <laughs> and just quickly speaking, I mean, I'm not sure when I'll publish this, but uh, just so that people know, you did do Ironman New Zealand now two days ago, and I spoke to you beforehand, and I was like, just just as a matter of interest, on paper, what do you think you'd be capable of? And I think you said uh, between 11, 15, 12, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell everyone what you actually did on race day. Well, I don't know the seconds, but 11, 10. Something. I think it was actually eleven oh nine. Really? I think. Oh. oh, I could have that wrong. Yeah, that's okay. But I'll get. Yeah. I'll get hey, it's, you know what's interesting is I looked up my time from two thousand three, and I remember thinking that was a horrible race just because emotionally I was in such a bad place. Yeah. And it was like eleven eleven. Far out. And I went, well, I think I beat that time, so that's nice. Fifteen years later, come back and and beat that time and. I really know there's a steadiness in me. That's yeah. that's the that's the reward of doing consistent training. Yeah, yeah. And I have been traveling um, since the beginning of the year. I've had this whirlwind trip to Morocco and Gran Canary Island off of Spain cool. and um, then Dubai. So I did Dubai 70.3 after traveling. And the, the training was not as consistent as I would have liked, but I was traveling. It was yeah. fabulous. And then... Came home for about two and a half weeks, um, had to put the finishing touches on the manuscript of my book that had to be turned in. So again, training, not so great. And then coming here. And so I thought, what's the minimum I need to do for this race? I thought, two long rides, two long swims, and two long runs. And I got in one long ride, one long run, and two long swims. So it was... It was enough for me to think I can get out here and get through this course. And again, the steadiness that um, it's not just those last few workouts. It was since 2012, this accumulation of of steadiness in in my fitness. But it was really nice to come out and sort of like, what's the what's the 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 reined in version of this race like just keep it together um sam bradley who um was amazing at our women for try breakfast i asked her as a coach of sweat seven and coaching all these people 100 people she's gotten through to the finish line of ironman new zealand formerly known as sam warner sam warner we'll have to talk about her amazing race but (laughs) she said take the first lap easy so I took her literally, I was sitting up a lot of that first lap and, and you know, just, just really, I kept saying, this is just a long training ride. Come on, let's just, this first lap is a training ride. Then you can see how you feel on the second lap. And fortunately the winds weren't up very strong on that first lap and mm. the winds were be- definitely in place on the second lap. So it, I'm glad I had saved quite a bit for the second lap. And then for the run, it was I can't think of it in terms of a marathon. That's just too brutal. Um, I can barely think of it in terms of Ks and because they come around quicker. <laughs> uh, it's loops. It's just the yeah. first loop is a warm-up loop. And this poor woman came blowing by me. And then she was walking, you know, within, you know, the first 10K. And I, I came up to her and said, it's just a warm-up loop. Just do whatever you need to get through the first loop. Set yourself up for the next two. Oh, okay. Okay. And I could tell it was like 
She, she was not, it was not happening for her. And as I came, I thought, but it's happening for me. You know, I yeah. am doing this as a warm up loop. The second loop, I hit a low spot, um, right about the halfway mark. And then my son came up to me and told me he did, he did really well in the race. And it was like, well, that took my mind off of my low yeah. spot. He'd done the 70.3. And so it was, he was finished. And then I um, got through the second loop, and um, the first loop is the warm-up loop. The second loop is usually my kind of strong loop. I feel like I'm out there racing. And the third loop is the WTF. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, uh, it's just, it is what it is. Yeah. And, and it's like I save my mental strength for that third loop because that's, it. hopefully it appears to be steady, but it's it's really taking a lot of mental energy to just maintain a steadiness and and coming down the the finish shoot it was um, I thought maybe I'd be overcome with emotion just remembering 15 years ago and what that felt like and it was just no I was pretty joyful it was like this is this is really nice to have ticked this box yeah um, on my way back to Kona in in October. Qualifying in a time of eleven oh nine or eleven ten, we'll double check that. Um, yeah, finishing. I think you were two hours ahead of second place in the sixty to sixty four. Maybe division. a little less, but it was certainly a nice, comfortable margin, right? Definitely. I asked my son at one point. I said, uh, "Just check, check my, check how I'm doing," and he said. <laughs> Of course, he had to go to the bar right on the run, uh, you know, and have a nice cold beer in his hand when I went by because they had <laughs> Wi-Fi. He said, Mom, you've got about an hour. You're racing yourself now. And yeah, I right. thought, those are interesting words because aren't we always? Yeah, absolutely. Are we always just racing ourselves? Yeah. You know, ha- and it was uh, you, for our Women for Try Breakfast um, early in the week, so you sent some questions out, I think, just as an MC. To, or else the if you didn't do it the all oh, the women for try people women did, for yeah. try did and they said what is the one thing that you you think um, can hold you back in in triathlon or in racing or in life and I thought comparing yourself to others yeah that is the one thing that I would say don't do it and on race day it's your race doesn't matter what anyone else is doing when you come down the finish shoot it is what it is and you know you're racing yourself and the course. And I felt like I really, the course and I, we, we, we did a nice dance out there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, there were some missteps, um, <laughs> and you know, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't pretty all the time, but it was, we, we did all right together. We, we had a yeah. good, we had a good time out there. It wasn't, you know, I never think of it as fun. <laughs> I think of it as rewarding. Yeah. It's, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's rewarding. Too. Yeah. So yeah, so the, the um, I'm going back to Kona. I'm I've got a, I've got a course record here until Sam Warner, nay nay Warner, um, what decides to come back and race as a sixty year old. Yeah. She take a big <laughs> chunk off of that. But she um, uh, again, it was really nice to meet a former champion, um, yep. Sam Warner Bradley Badley Bradley Bradley. I'm pretty sure. Yep. Yeah, she. Um, I was taking a look at her and I thought here here she's you know she's got 17 athletes she's coaching in the race. She's gotten a hundred athletes across the line. This is her business. And I thought, 
if she's doing this race, she is going to be ready to really go. Oh, I'm, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and no just doubt about it. her personality also seemed like somebody who's who wants to really knock it out of the park. And, yeah. And her daughters got to watch her race. Her yeah. one daughter was there at the awards ceremony. And what a profound effect that would have on a, on a little girl. Yeah. And to see mom up there. And so I just, I really, I just really... Um, enjoyed meeting her and thinking eight years ago or seven years ago she was the champion yeah. now she's had two children and she's a coach and she's back out here racing with a time that was was gonna not be too far off the top 10 pros you know oh yeah it was it within was definitely within yeah. those times. yeah so kudos to uh our local local champion yeah. in the 45 to 49 age group uh, at one point i leaned over i said i remember my friends give me give me a hard time because uh i said Oh my God, shoot me if I ever say I'm going to race as an age grouper. Just kill me. (laughs) (laughs) And she laughed. She goes, I said the same thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's hard to let go. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Now, you mentioned your book. My book. I would really like to talk about that. Sure. Um, Let's just start with the title. The title, Crawl of Fame. Brilliant. And it's funny, I'm working with my co-author, Robert Yaling, and he's written, he wrote a great book on on a professional surfer with autism. And... It was called Just Add Water because this kid only felt like he was himself in water. Yeah. And I want, I want a cool title like that. Yeah. Something catchy, a play on words. And, and he wasn't coming up with anything for me. I said, you're my co-writer. You're the writer. And so I was running in my hometown. I grew up in Carlsbad, uh, California. I now live just down the road in Cardiff, California. So San Diego County, um, the, the, the very northern end is Carlsbad and San Diego is the very southern end. So we, we northern California or northern um, county people are very specific about where we live. And so <laughs> Carlsbad, Cardiff, really cool little towns. And so I was up in, in Carlsbad running past the beach where I was a first worked as a lifeguard and just thinking about all these memories coming up about doing this book. It's a retrospective of my entire life. And um I thought, well, what's something catchy? And I said, well, I'm here to talk about a, a humbrag. I'm in the Hall of Fame, so that's kind of cool. And then it was like, walk of shame. No, crawl of fame. And it was like, I'm just doing this ding, little ding, ding, thing. Ding. Hall of Fame, walk of shame, crawl of fame. And I thought, I've got to own it. You know, I can't yep. just say, oh, I'm this. This is what put me on the map for my sport. It put the sport on the map for the rest of the world. It was something that had I not crawled, I would have won the race. Yeah. Would I change a thing? No. Yeah. Yeah. So Crawl of Fame was the title I came up with. And I threw it back out to my co-author and he threw it to our book editor and they both went, yeah, ding, yeah. ding, ding, ding. Good. So Crawl of Fame, it's a, it's going to be a retrospective of being a pioneer in the sport. Yeah. We, um, we, I take myself, you know, I kind of look at my, my early life and, and the, the factors that, kind of influenced me um kind of a daddy's girl trying to impress daddy would do all kinds of stunts like trying to learn, figure out how to ride the bike please yeah. take the training wheels off please take the training wheels off and i stayed out there until dark you know until i could figure yeah. this bike out and came in with bloody knees and you know hair and out of my pigtails and just i got it though so i think that was i really feel like Thinking about that story, that's really, um, I have kind of had those moments over and over again in my life. I don't care what I look like. I yeah. don't care how I do it. I'm going to get it done. Yeah. And um, 
and surfing was a big part of my early life, just challenging myself with the ocean, with the elements, yeah. and knowing that there was a couple times where it was like, I don't know if I'm going to come up from this wave is so big. I'm going to go down as deep as I can, um, but I don't know how it's going to turn out. And that idea that you can just sort of let go, and that was the, those 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 pieces kind of start adding up, little yeah. pearls on the on the string and yeah. um, and then obviously Kona came at such an early age at 23 that it was yes. huge it shaped me hugely um, to the point where I wish I were as good as my young self <laughs> I mean there's those <laughs> moments right and so kind of building to this 40th anniversary of Kona the book is going to come out in September right before the 40th anniversary and you won't know how I do in my race um, it's uh the book was supposed to end in 2017 with me uh, coming across the line in Kona for my personal 35th anniversary. Yeah. And uh, it didn't work out that way. It was, um, or my 30th anniversary, I can't remember. 35th. Yeah. 35th, 35th, yeah. 2017. And, it, yeah. and I, um, I, had, I, had, I went into the race with a completely different mindset than I have sitting here in this chair today. Mm. And that's what's kind of cool about sports. You can be, you know, you can sort of acquire these this whole other way of thinking um, through your training and your racing. But in the case of Kona, I was going after a time in, in last year. And um, I wanted that probably because I was writing this damn book. I wanted the time to be better than 1982. <laughs> and I was so fixated on it that uh, I, my body, I, I probably overtrained overtrained and underweight and went into the race. So no one could tell me to slow down and made like the all the rookie mistakes the ones i could get away with in 1982 can't yeah. quite get away with when you're you know you're 58 almost 59 years old so i um I, my body didn't hold up yeah. by the end of the bike i was i was done i mean i knew i could walk the marathon and i knew there was a chance that i might be able to start to jog a little and put together you know a finish for sure i wasn't i never doubted i could finish but my heart was broken yeah. uh, i had i had I had boxed myself into this tight little place. Gosh, here's the lesson, you guys. You know, I was like, don't do that. It's like you, you at least have a plan, you know, A, B, and C. Yeah. I had plan A. I couldn't even conceive. I was so confident and calm based on all the, the indicators that I had with racing and training that I wouldn't need a B or a C. I never even considered that plan B would be just finish. Yeah. Plan C would be be grateful that you get to just finish. Yeah. And um, I didn't have those two. And so I made a decision that was like that weird voice that said, get up, kind of kind of came back in the lava fields and sort of said, you don't have to do this. Yeah, right. Like, you don't have to do this. And as soon as I thought about that, I thought, then I've got to own that decision and I've got to be brave. There's got a certain amount of courage to look people in the face and oh, say, sure. I DNF'd. I didn't yeah. start the marathon, especially when you're... You, one of your main sponsors is Hoka. It's the mm. Hoka Run. It's the Hoka Marathon. You've got to run past the Hoka booth <laughs> twice on the marathon. And I thought, um, I feel pretty clear that this isn't what I trained for. This isn't, I've put so much into the one dream. It's not happening. So I stopped on the bike. I think taking 12 minutes in the in the transition area sort of sent an indicator <laughs> out for all those people who are watching on yeah. the online application, like something's going on. And so I, 
got myself together, walked out, walked straight up to the Hoka booth and let them know that what my decision was. Of course, they were very, you know, very gracious, very, yeah, very understanding, but probably really disappointed. Um, then I saw my son. He was the only person who, who didn't thoroughly disguise his disappointment in me. Oh, wow. Yeah, because he had just qualified for Kona in September for the following year. Yeah. Here we are in, in Kona, and he's watching the race, and he's going to be there next year, and he sees me DNF. And it was just, I think it was shocking to him. And seeing that expression on his face um, triggered something in me. Yeah. So... Couple days later, and here it is. You know, I haven't even left the island, and I'm already reaching out to Ironman New Zealand. <laughs> I want another chance to get back to Kona, and um, this is the place I know that I can come back and heal, and you know, lick my wounds and get my act together. And so here I am. Um, didn't have to lick too many wounds, um, but uh, fortunately, I asked. Uh, Diana Birch, the race director at of Kona, for an invite, and I said, "I'm going to come to I'm going to come to New Zealand. I'm going to earn my spot if I can." Um, but I I kind of want the invitation. You never know what can happen in an Ironman, and I need to go back and clean up that mess that I made. Yeah, I call it the mess because it, it was it felt messy. It didn't, okay. Yeah, and um, so by the end of the year, uh, by the end of 2017, I knew I was going back to Kona, and I knew I was coming here. And I had to submit the proposal for the book. And here's the great thing, Steph. You're going to love this. <laughs> the publishers didn't like my 2017 ending. You know, we'd submitted it before, and we were not getting any big nibbles. And we had to revise the ending and turn it in again because now 2017 isn't the woo raise yeah. the, you know, raise your hands up, do the happy dance. I'm as fast as I was at 23. And... They said, so what's what's interesting about that? Yeah. We res resubmitted the proposal. I crashed and burned in Hawaii, and I learned that it's not about ending as, you know, like the like the champion. Yeah. Um, it's about showing the guts and the heart to get the job done. Yeah. And they were like, okay, now we've got now we've got a book we're more interested in. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter how I finish, even though um, for in 2018 I know I will finish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's the whole. This this has been an exercise now about getting my mind right about what I brought to this sport, what I continue to get out of this sport, and what I think I'd like my. One of my one of my last Ironmans to be about is just yeah. the heart and and the spirit of of Kona and my heart was broken last year because I wasn't getting what I wanted. Yeah. Well, the Ironman isn't about getting what you want. It's about it's about getting to the finish line and then getting what it what it happens to handle you. Yeah. yeah what lesson yeah. that you can learn and yeah. at the age of fifty nine you're still learning incredibly amazing lessons about yeah, yourself. Yeah, just go back to 2000. You know, I just have to go, why can't I just trust that 23-year-old from 1982? <laughs> she had it going on. Yeah. She was, she had fun. She was relaxed. Now I'm, I love, I love being, you know, the disciplined training athlete, but I know I've got to always remember that it's the finish line. Yeah. And it's, and it's not about comparing myself to others. It's yeah. just about getting to the finish line. So, yeah, the book's been amazing, very cathartic, very, yeah, very weird, you know, a lot of dreams about the past. And 
Um, someone said, do you name names? I said, well, I named some names. Uh, some names shouldn't be named. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> well, it was fun. It was fun for a while. Wow. I mean, we, we weren't earning much prize money. Yeah. So we were getting to travel to great locations and have a lot of fun. Yeah. So it was, it was, a, it was you know, it was the Wild West of yeah. triathlon for a long time. And it's obviously very different now and it's very polished and everyone gets a, a certain um, experience that they can, they can count on. And that's the beauty of, of kind of this, the Ironman Corporation and, and coming in and, and, and being very consistent. What gives the races their individuality is the towns they're in. Yeah. Like being here in, in Taupo with, you know, 2,200 volunteers mm. and there's only 2,200 people in the town. Yeah. And, you know, just the, the, the chill vibe and the energy on the race course. And those are the things now that I, I really look for. You know, what, yeah. what's an experience that's going to make me feel like I, just, I took a piece of this, this place home with me. Yeah. Um, you said that there was some names that you shouldn't have mentioned. I'm not asking You're you to You're so mention. cute. Yeah. Well, I was just like, right, embrace my inner journalist here yeah. and actually dig a bit deeper. And I don't expect you to name yeah. names. But what do you mean by that? Do you mean like there were um, in terms of negativity, in terms of just people that um, – you, you wanted to move away from because they were a negative part of your life? I'm talking about men I slept with. Oh, wow. <laughs> Just not what I expected at all. No, I'm not going to name the men I slept yeah. with on the circuit. <laughs> we have a whiteboard and uh, we have a rating system here as well. <laughs> That's honestly not what I thought you were going to say. No, We've just no. got very personal. No, but that's not personal in the big scheme of things. If I'm sitting yeah. here having coffee with you, I wouldn't uh, have a problem yeah. with saying, oh, are you going to, are you going to name? Like, no, but that yeah. was, that's why I was saying it was the Wild West. We had yeah, a lot yeah. of fun, but no, you don't need to kiss and tell. That's no, no. what I should have said. Kiss and tell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> kiss and tell. Um, no, but there are, there's really... From again, all these years of experience, nothing is really that negative anymore. It's kind of the way it was. It, it, all those steps lead you to where you are right now. Totally. So you can't you can't erase them. And yeah. you, and this was an interesting process with the book, as I'm here. I am at 59, and I'm reading an article where I was. It was this whole thing where Madonna had just come out 1985. Madonna had just come out with Material Girl. She yeah. was she was it, and she's a powerful woman. She still is. And a role model. Just, just quickly, you need to stop kicking the table. Thank you. I'll stop kicking the table. Okay. Usually it's me. As soon as I said about, I, about who I slept with, I started getting that nervous foot thing. Um, <laughs> or who I didn't. Never did. Um, no, but this Madonna thing was, and so we did this magazine cover where I'm dressed up as Madonna, the material girl. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. And I the article, I was trying to sound like, it's about empowering women and we're getting equal pay. And, you know, these girls just need to be more professional. And it, Oh, it was just, I was an ass. It was like, oh my God. And I, I've saved a lot of things. So I sort of turned over the whole interview to my co-writer and said, all right, if you want to use some of this, you can. And he used some of it. It was like, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. I said, can't we just take some of this out? I just sound like such an idiot. And so the idea of editing your, your mature self, editing your younger self, yeah. and he kept saying, you can't do it. You've got to leave it in. Yeah. So I really sort of became practiced with looking at the things that I could have been embarrassed about or could have been felt negative and thought it's all just a stepping stone. Yeah, yeah. What, 
so you just mentioned that you're talking about people need to be more professional. There's equal pay and stuff. I can you elaborate? Because I don't understand well, what's embarrassing about you actually standing up for something. Well, that's no, quite it's the important. way I said it and the way okay. I would demean my fellow women competitors. Right. That that was embarrassing. It's the approach. Okay. Yeah, it was the approach. It was the language that I used. I was trying right. to be tough girl, Madonna yeah. tough girl. Gotcha. And I think what I thought was these women, if they aren't happy with the way they're getting sponsorships or the way they're getting appearance fees, then that you know, then they need to take step responsibility, up. Yeah. step up. Okay. And I was in an interesting position because it was less about my performance and more about what I represented to the sport. I was became kind of the it girl and it, it wasn't, it was less about, Oh, well what's her, what's her best performance? Yeah. And I, so the girls who were coming in, the young women who were coming into the sport were, you know, it was on their merit, how they raced and yeah. how, and so sponsorships and appearance fees were doled out and, and I would get a chunk of that because mm-hmm. not necessarily based on how I raced. Yeah. So there was a bit of a discord between myself. I felt, um, and and it's it's a projection because I really didn't feel like I belonged with the pro women, mm-hmm. um, based on my lack of athletic history. Yeah. And the one I had my one race where I was leading it and then ended up second. And it took me many years to develop the discipline and just um, the the physical abilities to start becoming the best racer that I could be. And yeah. that took a long time. And, and mostly it was the psychological, the discipline side. The physical side seemed to, to match whatever I could kind of put together. But I never was, was out of the loop as far as sponsorship and attention. Yeah. So I was sort of... I don't know. I always felt like I was kind of being slid in on the on the coattails of 1982. Yeah, right. With the other women, and um, that attitude uh, was not was not a good thing to have. You know, carrying that attitude around, like kind of forcing, like the bull in the china shop. Well, I deserve to be here. I, yeah. I, I really do deserve to be here when I didn't feel I did. And it took me seven years to finally. Um, come to New Zealand yeah. for six weeks and train with Aaron Baker and Scott Molina, Mark Allen, Colleen Cannon, that I, I finally committed myself to being the best athlete I could be, left all the ego and all the preconceptions away and just said, stripped myself bare and yeah. came for a six-week training block and said, all right, see what, see what it feels like to give your best every day and then show up one race and be ready to go. Just be ready for you. Yeah. And it was the Gold Coast race in 1989. And um, Paula Newby Frazier and I head to head on the run. And yeah. She was in the middle of a huge rivalry with Aaron Baker. Yeah. I just spent six weeks training with Aaron Baker and um, came to this race feeling for the first time ever, after being a professional for seven years, that I was ready to toe the line for a race and. I just, I was just really excited to see what, how it translated my training. How did it translate on the day? And it was just an amazing day and pulled away from Paula on the run about 10 K into a 30 K run. And I have, I found old footage on YouTube of that race. And I looked at myself like that. I am looking like a runner (laughs) and won the race. Um, I was newly engaged to Mark Allen at the time. He won the men's race. It was just one of those moments. And I, but I have 
that's like maybe one moment uh, yeah. in a whole professional career where I said this is the preparation and showing up on the day was just, it was kind of perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And then the race was pretty perfect. Too. Yeah. So, but showing up ready to go and give my best was, was pretty cool. So it took me a lot of years to feel like I deserved to be with the women. And yeah. so my defense mechanism was always kind of like that attitude that came through in a couple yeah. of those articles. And those are embarrassing to go back and say, oh, couldn't she have just been a little more mature? Obviously yeah. not. Yeah. It's almost like that fight or flight thing. You get in and, you know, you're aggressive and stuff before people say it themselves about you, saying that you don't belong Self-defensive, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, you don't yeah. need to be. Yeah. Yeah, and it's – um, and I look back on that now and it's like, wow, that's really interesting how so much time and energy gets eaten up by mm. how we want to present ourselves mm. or the image that we're just trying to protect. And mm. we're just, it's just such amazing people just as we are. Yeah. And I mean, it just sounds so cliche, but it's so true to just be yourself. And now when I get to sort of have a moment on the stage or like last night was wonderful to be yeah. up on the stage, but it's really, a, I feel like it's a celebration we're, we're sharing together. This isn't me, me, me. This is, yes, it's me, but here we are together, man. This was, this was a cool, this was a cool day that I will have for the yeah. rest of my life. And hopefully everyone else in the audience is going to have theirs as well. Yeah. I, I want to just go back to that that sense of you not belonging and feeling like you needed to have this persona um, in the public to sort of showcase that you maybe your results aren't showing that you're a pro athlete, but you've got this other side of you. What what are your thoughts on social media? Because like I find it really interesting, particularly in the climate at the moment. Um, you know, I've heard a lot of athletes talk about how sponsors have said we care less about results and more about your social media influence, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. What What are your thoughts on that based on pretty much exactly what you've just told me about your own um, history? Well, it makes sense. Mm. Um, if you were, in my case, before social media, um, I was on invited periodically to these different television shows. Uh in the U.S., it was Battle of the Superstars, mm. um, athletes from different Survival of the Fittest, Battle of the Network, not Network Superstars, but Battle of the, the Superstars. These made-for-television events that um, they'd bring athletes from different sports in, and I, and then I was then I got into commentating, and it's just sort of been this social media, my way of doing social media, mm. I've been a kind of a constant, there's been constant exposure yeah. for me. Um, a made for TV movie starring Penny Marshall of Laverne and Shirley fame, where I helped write the screenplay. I was her stunt double. What? Hey, challenge of a lifetime, baby. It's on YouTube. <laughs> man, I, I need to be making notes of all the YouTube clips. Yeah, I no challenge watching. of a lifetime. It's hysterical. And, um, but it was really, you know, this is, those were the kind of experiences I was having that I think kept me on a level of exposure though, yeah. and really social media's exposure, right? Yeah. So if you were basing your, your, your whole business model is on reaching clients and having a strong social media presence, then yes, I get it. I get it. I, I'm 
I am should be much better with my. I think I could have a pretty strong social media presence. I mm-hmm. have all these really cool things that are happening all the time, and you know, just to constantly be feeding them out there is what I should be doing. Um, I I'll just say I've saved them for the book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've saved a lot of stuff old for the school. book. Old school paper. Um, but no, I I really think that it's um, I think. Kudos to the to the the athletes who want to to kind of focus on that, who are good at it, who create a really interesting image, and if sponsors then come in and sponsor them because of their they've got thousands of followers. That's that makes perfect sense to me. Um, it's we want personalities in the sport. We've mm. touched on that. We want rivalries. Yeah. We want personalities. We want um, we want to know and care about the athletes in the sport that we follow. Um, how do you how do you make that happen? What would you say, Steph? What's the way to kind of get people excited about an athlete? Well, it's so I find it interesting, and I sort of float between the both. And I, there's not a set right or wrong answer. But what I feel like is really missing is that triathlon itself, whether it be Ironman or IT, whatever, they need to be making that these athletes, the heroes, the personalities, it, I don't feel like it should always just come from the individual athlete. I think that's what's really missing. And I always look at um, NBA and this is just a very recent example in Australia. Uh, they just launched women's AFL, so Australian Football League. And before any of those women set foot on the ground for their very first AFL game ever they've played um like the lower ranks and things like that there were I think they had about 10 ambassadors that were dead set rock stars before they even set foot on a ground and I that came straight from the AFL so the the governing body or whatever you want to call it so there was a whole approach to that they knew they wanted everyone to know these names before they started playing so then they'd have a fan base that cared about them followed them yeah absolutely within the sport and with outside of the sport you know and I feel like that's what's kind of missing I know that I've heard that um from other athletes especially um throughout the the years of Ironman athletes yeah. that it that they feel like they were um, under under you yes yes yeah. yes they are they are it's what's the word that I'm looking for um, they're not precious but they are so valuable you yeah. know they're just a valuable component the history of the sport is as valuable as the future yeah and if we kind of keep building on that future and we need to remember the past so it's um it is there's. Obviously, it sounds like there could be an approach could come in to sort of focus on the athletes, past, present, future, mm. and kind of create these these um, personalities, these personas, these, um, yeah, the energy of that way mm. ahead of time. I mean, to start, like for, here comes, you know, we had Jan Ferdino who was yep. defending, who ended up walking yep. the course. I mean, talk about character awards i mean absolutely i mean that was that was like a huge character banner two-time defending champion he walks the marathon yeah and then you know patrick langer you know second time i don't know if he broke the run record for the second time in a row um the women um obviously daniela sort of takes a little bit of the bite out of the you know out of the rivalries there because she's so dominant but um lucy charles a, a rock star breakout star from this year's race and mm. yeah i get it um it would take you know if you had the if you had, in a corporate scheme if they had a media social media 
director for the athletes to create that energy. Yeah. I know they do, but they somehow it's maybe shuffled in with some other things, yeah. uh, some other responsibilities and duties. But if you had somebody young and together with memes and video clips and, you know, vlogs, it could be really cool to yeah. build that presence. It's it, to be quite honest, it, it's the professional women. That's why I started Wits Up. It was the sole reason that I started Wits Up. Our, you know, goals and everything changed slightly once I did a little bit more research before we launched. But the reason that I started Wits Up was because I was sitting around going, how are these professional women not goddamn rock stars globally outside of the sport? Like they're the fittest people on the planet. How is the greater audience not or don't know about these women and men, obviously, but obviously I was coming from the women's angle and that's where it all started for me. And I still, you know, I meet the likes of Daniela and Marinda and Chrissy all the time. And I, you know, I'm quite close with them all now, but I still, you know, will sit there and just go far out. You, you are an incredible specimen of a person you know, lovely people to yeah. catch up with, but how do more people not know about you? Yeah, I mean, even with with Rini and her milk commercial, chocolate yeah. milk in the US, that was still, she was getting some pretty good airtime on that. But yeah. I don't know if she's been able to make that that shift. Obviously, she took some time out, yeah. had Izzy, and now she's, I'm sure she's going to be on fire for Kona, if not 2018 for sure, 2019. Yeah. I don't know what her plans are, but yeah. she's a new Hoka athlete. Yeah. So I mean, in Hoka, they were they wanted they've been wanting her for a long time. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's um I think it's a really interesting premise, and I think you need to have out of sport context to yeah. slot, you know, the the women triathletes in. If we were just sort of focus on women triathletes, like um, the ESPN body issue, and I and I know this gets into a touchy area. Because I also know that the Sports Illustrated uh, swimsuit issue has mm. athletes. But we're talking about crossing over now into mainstream. And um, But the ESPY Awards in the U.S., they do recognize women triathletes um, yeah. if they're nominated in categories. And so we need to – how do you mainstream, too? Mm. I mean, because you're right. How what, What's missing? Yeah. Because, I mean, because I just think the – Iron distance racing is a hard sell because, I mean, there's obviously the, you know, anyone who finishes is amazing and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. But, you know, a nine hour event is a very hard sell as opposed to, you know, yeah. watching people up run up and down on a basketball yeah. court because it's right there in front of you the right. entire time. It's It's easy to consume. So that's why I just feel like the personalities need to be sold more. Yeah. That's yeah. And I'm certainly not an expert. It's my opinion based on spending a lot of time in the sport, a lot of time with athletes, my passion for the sport. That's where it's coming from. Well, and I think you're, you've been investing your time, your energy, a lot of time and energy into this idea of how to bridge this gap. Um, obviously I'm thinking, wouldn't it be great? Okay, I can see you, Steph, as like the Ellen DeGeneres of a sports of a sports hour. I do you, know how to dance. Yes, and <laughs> come in and get these athletes on your couch. Yeah, get one of the new footballer woman. Get a triathlete woman on. Let the people have conversations. Let them see. You know, this is this is how we. You know, I I just like I think outside the box a Do, little bit. That would be my dream job. I can tell you'd yeah. be wonderful at it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you'd I enjoy talking to people. Yeah, 
Yeah, this is the fun part. And, you know, to get athletes outside of just the racing environment, like I'd love to see Daniela loosen up. I only see her in Kona. It's yeah. Like, it is not the best place to see her personality come Com- out. Completely agree. And I think last year her win was my favorite winner of hers that I've ever seen because I've never seen her that emotional. She, that was a changing point for me. Like I get it, stoic racing, all that kind of yeah. stuff. But when I saw that emotion at the finishing line, she, um, I saw a bit more passion in her as yeah. opposed to just the perfection. Y- yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And you know, when you see her, it's just, and, and full respect. For oh, that. and the athletes Absolutely. who don't let their emotion out on the race course go faster. Hello. Yeah. It's like yep. you've got to hold you've got to hold it together. Yeah. And so yeah. to let it come out. It was interesting hearing Laura Siddle give her talk and it was so from the heart because she's wanted this win yeah. for a long time. And just the way she was so vulnerable. Yeah. The, again, that authenticity, so vulnerable. And and then Terenzo comes up and he I could tell he 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 was feeling it. But somehow the persona was stronger than the authenticity. And I don't mean this in a critical way. I'm just saying he was having a hard time just sort of, he was, he was being Terenzo, who I think people know and love. Yeah. Um, the little shit he talked about at 12 <laughs> yeah. years old, calling up, at, you know, yelling across at, yeah. at Cam Brown, going, watch you guys, I'm going to come get you. Yeah. And then I, that was my favorite moment when he said, and I've been, paying for that comment for the last 20 years (laughs) that to me it was like oh i that's the part i want you to kind of stay with that part of of being that kid for the last 20 years who's trying to catch up and yeah and he's obviously um he was so thrilled with his win so i loved both the speeches they were very very different um and i felt you know i felt like terenzo was having a harder time just kind of dropping down and when yeah, right. we and when we get to see an athlete like you described with Daniela at her finish line dropping into that pure emotion it 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 changes us mm. we want some of that we yeah. want that and so the combination of how do you get that i mean social media you're presenting yourself in a very particular way you're irreverent funky serious whatever you're presenting yourself in a certain way um, so to combine that that authenticity, that just that raw emotion, um, and the fun that I think that these athletes have in this lifestyle, yeah, I mean the, all the components are there for rock stardom, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's just it's just it's close. It is. It's close. I can feel it. Yeah. Hey, we've been talking for an hour and 20 minutes. Well, isn't that just <laughs> a lot of gabbing? Well, it's no surprises, really. Um, so let, let's try to wrap it up. But yeah. instead of me um, continue asking questions, is there anything that you would like to talk about? You know, yeah, um, you know, for me, just to say, it's just like I said, it's an honor to come and, and sit here with you, Steph. And, and, and what's up has been something I've watched over time and, and the care and the dedication and the passion that you've had for it um, really reflects the, that, that passion you have for our sport. And I have to say that I've I've re- 
refueled my passion for the sport. And it's lovely to be sitting here and being on the same page with you. And yeah. um, it ha I haven't always been at that place in triathlon. And I'm there right now. And again, with a lot of perspective, um, again, my book, uh, Crawl of Fame, has been a very much a, a, you know, a retrospective look at everything from the past up to the future. I have to say, I love the future. I love the present, let's say, right yeah. now. And what's coming is, is the most exciting time in the sport of triathlon. I think I do see a, a potential to create rock stars out of triathletes. Uh, I feel like I've had a rock star life, maybe without being the rock star um, in the sport, but it's been a wonderful life. I, I, I thought it's crazy that at 60, I'm racing in the 60 to 64 age group. Yeah. It doesn't feel that much different than, wow. you know, than it did 35 years ago. It still feels really special. And um, that's it. I just think I'm happy to spend time with your listeners. I think they all have their amazing, exciting, passionate things that they're chasing. And the one thing I've learned through this whole thing is just strip it down, strip it down and be yourself. And, yeah. you know, just, just, yeah, strip it down. I like it. Ah. It's a nice way to end it. And hey, we'll hopefully catch up again in Kona. I'm 90% sure we'll be there. We'll, yeah. We'll... <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, we'll be there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. um, I, I'm going to be racing with my son. That's yeah. pretty special. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of asked his permission since I botched, uh, 2017. I said, do you mind if I'm there with you in 2018? And he said, yeah. honestly, mom, I don't even know if I'll see you in the race. Yeah. <laughs> honestly, I won't even know what you're doing. And yeah. I said, perfect. That's just what I wanted to hear. Yeah. So to race with my son, 2018 and put kind of another stamp on Kona in my own way, um, feels really good. It's, no expectations. Um, just yeah. let the day unfold and just sort of just see see what's what's up next. So yep. perfect. Thank you so much. We'll You're see welcome. you there. Okay. Okay.